We're going to continue our series today called Life After Life. And what we've been talking about is what do we do once we give our life to Jesus for those who make that choice. And I know oftentimes um, we, we center on the fact that one day when this life is over, we'll die and we'll spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And that is true. And we know that because of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, he overcame sin and death. And so we have that hope and we have that belief that when this life is over, we have eternal life with him in heaven. But the truth is, many people struggle then with, okay, but what do I do for the rest of today and tomorrow till time? And how does my, how does my faith make a difference? And, and what am I supposed to do living here in this world as broken as it is at times? And, and how am I supposed to interact and, and behave? And I will just make this real simple. John writes these things so that we can know what to do, so that we can have confidence in our faith. And really the underlying theme of the whole thing that he's talking about is it's love. It's love. We're supposed to live then a life of love. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what we understand. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, the truth is this, and this is the foundational idea here today, is because God loves me, I can love others. So because God loves me, then I can love others. And we need to understand that it is the love that comes from a relationship with God that truly empowers us to have a genuine, authentic love for others. It's not some ideology of kindness to other people or tolerance for other people or affection to other people or any other thing. We get a lot of misguided ideas about love in our culture today. We also uh, get confused sometimes when we only take maybe a small aspect of what it means to be a loving person and we focus on it and we don't look at love as a whole. But what we need to understand is this foundational truth is that because God loves me, I can love others. And as I learn to love God more and as I learn to love others more, then that's when I begin to continue to experience life that comes only in following Jesus. And so it's a, I say this often, it's a simple idea, but it's not an easy thing to do. I can explain it, but to actually go live it, it gets complicated sometimes. And so let's look at what John writes about this idea. First John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 11 today. And this is what he says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. John says this isn't a new thing. You've, you've heard this. We should love one another. Verse 12, he goes on to say, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? And then look at this, because this is a clue for us. Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. His deeds were evil. His brother's deeds were righteous. And so once again, we talked about this a lot more last week. 
but John is combining this idea of love and deeds. What we actually do is what makes a difference for how we love. He goes on to say then, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I'm going to stop right there because it's not in your points, but we talked about this in Bible study, and I think it's worth mentioning today. What we're talking about here is we may decide in our heart that we're going to do everything we can to live a life of love and do the right things as it relates to other people and to love God, but then we don't do that because of the response that other people will then give us. Because what John's writing here is, hey, don't be surprised that when you determine that you're going to follow God and do everything that he asks you to do, that the response from those around you is not one of affection and love and reciprocation, but that they actually turn around and make it difficult and hard, and they actually might even hate you for doing those things. And so our motivation for doing these acts of love are, are, is not so that we get something in return. As a matter of fact, we might get the exact opposite in return. He goes on to say in verse 14, we know, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know that we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We'll read that verse again. This is how we know that we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. So there's a real simple idea that John is saying, how can I know that I have eternal life? How can I know that my faith is making a difference? How can, how can I know that I know that God's in my heart and I'm right with him? He makes it real simple. If I have love, then I have life. If I have love, then I have life. Evidence of a genuine faith in Christ is the capacity to love God and to love others. And the more that you walk with God, your capacity to love him and to love others grows. The evidence of faith is your capacity to love others. John says if you want to know how you're doing in your faith in Christ, don't only look at how you relate to God, but look at what you're actually doing for other people. Look at your actions and your motivations for your interactions with those around you. If you truly have a heart of love toward others, then that comes from God, and it's an evidence of a faith that you have. Another way to say it is simply this. John said we can be assured of our faith in God when we see it evidenced in our love for other people. That's how he puts it. And so that's where we can understand this idea, and we get the fact that we're supposed to love other people, but the, the, the idea of love is somewhat confusing at times. Since the enemy knows that we can understand this truth that we're supposed to love other people, what he does sometimes is he confuses what is love? I mean, come on. Hadaway wrote a song about that in the 90s. Anyone? 
What is love? Anyone? All right. If that missed your generation, what about foreigner? They want to know what love is, right? We can go back to that one. We go back further than that, I'm out. I'm past those generations. I'm sure they wrote songs about that then, okay? So it's this idea, okay, well, what is love? And the truth is the culture around us is telling us all the time these things that make it confusing to discern what true love is. And that's what we need to ask. What is love? What do we really mean when he says we're supposed to love other people? So I'm going to make this statement at first, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. I love by what I do, not by what I feel. And here's what you need to understand. I love by what I do, not by what I feel. Now, those who are closest with me, they, they jab at me all the time, and I laugh, and it's, it's funny, because they joke that I have one feeling, sometimes I let that feeling out, usually comes out angry, I don't know why, but you know, that's the one feeling that I have, but I, I, I don't, I'm not an emotional person oftentimes, and so here's what you need to understand, I'm not talking about emotions, I'm not talking about love in this sense of warm, fuzzy feelings and those type of things, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that we love by what we do, not by what we just feel. Galatians chapter 5, this is real key for us to understand. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? Fruit is what grows when something is planted inside the ground. It comes up, it grows, and then it produces fruit. So what Paul is writing here in Galatians is he says, fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit living inside you, then the fruit that's going to be coming out in your life, the first one is what? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. He goes on to say it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. But look at the next verse, verse 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, what are those last three words? With its what? Passions and desires. Paul says that those who are followers of Christ have learned to take their feelings and they understand that sometimes their feelings may lead them astray and so they crucify the flesh with its passions and desires and they follow the Spirit of God and they demonstrate love by what they do, not by what they feel. Now, there are some sweet moments in life that our actions and our feelings are in line. And it is a beautiful place to be when our actions and our feelings are all lined up. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we would be able to quickly come to the conclusion that I don't always do what I feel because I know sometimes what I feel is not the best thing to do. Amen? If, think about how selfish we would be if we only did what we feel. I would never exercise in my life, ever. Because I promise you, and I, I'm, I love being athletic. I love doing things, but very rarely do I get up and go, I'd like to run. I'm, no, I don't feel like that often. I, don't, I just don't. But here's what happens, and maybe you've had this same experience, but because I know it's a good thing to do, I get up, 
and I don't feel like it, but I actually start doing it because I know that what I do is what matters and not what I feel. And then once I start doing it, lo and behold, I feel better about myself and I feel better about these things. You see, this is, this is what we need to understand. Successful people know that what you do matters so much more than how you feel. And they will train themselves to act rightly no matter what their feelings are. And they understand that at many times, feelings will follow actions, not the other way around. So when I begin to act, then my feelings will come in, in line. And so when Paul talks about those who belong to Jesus have put to death the flesh, what he means is they don't feed those feelings anymore. They don't give into it. They have a plan of action to demonstrate their faith and their love. They don't just wait to feel that way. Now, you need to understand something. I tell this to people all the time, and especially as it comes to your Christian faith, because sometimes our feelings can lead us to doubt, and that doubt can lead us to a bad place in life. Here's the truth. You cannot help how you feel sometimes. You can't. But you can always choose how you act. Sometimes you just cannot help but how you feel. Sad, happy, angry. It doesn't matter. Those feelings are, are going to come. But you can always choose how you're going to act. And this is where I believe many people become disen, disenchanted, if you will, with the Christian faith. They believed they came to Christ with this belief that if I give my life to Jesus, then it's going to change how I feel about things without actually having to do anything. Like somehow they were going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, everything's better because I feel totally different. But it doesn't work that way. You still have feelings. You still have things that draw you aside, that, that depress you, that motivate you sometimes or that frustrate you sometimes. Those feelings are still there. And what John is saying is that we learn that we love people because we choose to love people because God chose to love us. And the more that we choose to do that and our actions follow up, then our feelings will begin to get in line over time. But we actually have to do something about it. It's, we're not going to just magically feel differently. And if you wait to do things only when you feel like it, that's the epitome of self-centeredness. I mean, that is a newborn child, amen? All they know how to do is, ah, because they feel, they feel, I feel this, and I need somebody to take care of that. And so we need to understand that God gives us a blessing of emotions and of feelings and these type of things, but they're not to be our guide. God's word and our, our choices, our actions are to be our guide. Look at these examples that John gives us here in this passage. One of the things he says I believe it's in verse 17. I don't have my verses in front of me. But he says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? He's saying, wait, wait a minute. You, you can't say that I love people and then be able to meet their need and then not do anything about it. That, that's not love because it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what you did. Because when you want to, to get to the point that you look back and go, how am I doing in my faith? We're not looking about how we feel. We're looking at, well, what have I done? What, where has my faith made a difference? And so here's one principle that comes from that phrase right there that John said. 
For me to be able to love fully, I must give freely. For me to be able to love fully, then I must give freely. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? You see, here's the thing that happens. I can't give freely when I spend it all on myself. So let's have a pause here. Because this is the point in time when people go, okay, pastor's going to talk about money. Actually, money is a small part of this. And the church functions because people give it. And so, yes, we need it. Okay? I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, we don't need that. We're all the beneficiaries of people's generosity in here. And the fact that we have air conditioning and light, well, I guess heat today or whatever we need. And, and lighting and those type of things. Yeah, that's it. But that's not what this is talking about. He's talking about on an individual basis, your attitude and your feelings toward people. How, how can you say that life is about me and my abundance of things and then see other people in need and do nothing about it? That's evidence that God's, God's work is not going through your life. And so we need to understand that part of what demonstrates our love and our trust and our faith in God is our ability to give freely to one another. You want to know why? Because when you give Jesus your life, you give him your whole life. And if you give him your whole life, that means everything in it is his. And that means if everything in it is his and he tells you to do something with it and you don't do that, then what are you demonstrating that, well, no, I didn't really give you my whole life. I only gave you part of my life, the part that I want you to control and I'll control the rest of it. And then we look and we go, I don't see evidence of God at work in my life. And he's going, because I keep trying to ask you to do these things, but you're not doing anything. And so that's what happens and that's what leads to doubt. Again, I don't say these words to make anybody feel guilty. I say these words so you can see the path to life. James wrote it this way. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed. I'll pray for you. But don't give them what the body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Now, that was a whole other sermon, and that was last week. So you can watch that online. But again, this comes into saying that if we're going to love people, it's going to show in what we do. And if I'm going to experience life after life, then I need to be able to give freely. And so here, listen to me on this. If I'm going to be able to give freely, I need to have a generosity plan. Okay? I did not say you need to have a financial plan. I said you have a generosity plan. And those are two separate things. Finances is a part of generosity, but it does not encompass all of what generosity is. This doesn't work, this idea of being a generous person, doesn't work for people who thought that Christianity was all for their own benefit and their own blessing. You see, that's where John says, no, these are the people who are leading you down a false path. Actually, the path to life is the more you give it away. You give freely and you find life. Here's how you start your generosity plan. You ready? Write this down. Do something. There you go. Well, what do you mean, do something? Do something. Don't, don't plan to plan generosity. Just get up and go, all right, today... I want to love my neighbor, and to love my neighbor, I need to be generous. If I'm going to be generous, 
then what do I need to do? You realize you can be a generous driver? Apparently I don't often. But I do realize that it can happen. Generosity, a plan of generosity can affect the way you drive. A plan of generosity can affect the way you interact with people. You can be a person that's generous with kindness and our world needs a ton of those people. Amen? Yes, you can be generous with finances. God has given you, some of you, an abundance because you're supposed to share it, okay? But God has given all of us something because we're supposed to share it as well. That's a generosity plan. That's how we actually tangibly demonstrate God's love for other people. God's given some of you skills and talents and abilities and knowledge, and you're supposed to share that. God's given some of you the gift of time and to just spend time with people. That's generosity. If you use it all on yourself, you have nothing to give away. So you need to have a generosity plan if you're going to be a person of love. And a generosity plan is all-encompassing. You see, even as Christians, we can fall into this unhealthy way, of, and I'll call it legalistic thinking. We start making God's relationship with us like this set of rules, and we're looking for some formula or some plan to make all this work. And so that's when you hear people start talking about, you know, well, I, I teach over here, so then the rest of the week I can kind of do what I want at time. Or, well, I, I give this much away. Well, I, I, I tithe my 10%, or, and I, I give that. I want, I want to just help us out here. Hal had us do it earlier. Grab that hymnal in front of you, okay? I'm going to come borrow this one again. Grab that hymnal in front of you. Open it to, to 249. 249. We're, and I am not going to sing, and that is me being generous for you today. 249. Now, this is not God's word. This is someone who read God's word and then wrote a song as an expression of response to God's word. But I want you to look at this. 249. What's the title of that song? Jesus paid it 10%, right? Jesus paid most of it for me, right? I'll take care of the rest, right? Jesus paid what? All. Look at the chorus down there at the bottom. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You see, there's the problem. When we start thinking of our generosity and some sort of a plan of, okay, well, I give this hour over here and I can do this time over here. I'm going to give this money over here. I'm going to leave this to these people. I'm going to diversify this over here. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. If I gave my life to him, he owns it all. And he can do what he wants to with it at that point in time because it's his. And what we did is we gave him our life because we trust that in return we will receive life abundant and life eternal. But what happens in our actions sometimes is we say, I want to give you all my life, but I just want to stay in control of it until I die. And then we miss the eternal blessing of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, we're guaranteed eternal life, but we're certainly not living the abundant life here. And then it causes people to doubt or to wonder, well, is my faith really making a difference? Have I really given my life to Christ? What is this? And John the whole time is telling you, look at what you do. And you're going, but I don't feel this. Well, look at what you've done. Well, I don't feel like God's there. Well, look at what you're doing. Well, I feel like when I pray, God's not. Well, what are you doing? And this is the simple truth of what John is saying is that our faith 
should lead our behavior to be such people that we love by being able to give freely of our time, our talent, our skills, our money. And Jesus says, I'm going to set the example for you. While you're still sinners, I'll die for you. And I'll give you all that I have. Even though I made it all, it's all mine, I deserve it all, I'm going to lay it all down so that you might come to know me. And you'll begin to see that the path to life is the more you're able to lay it down for other people, then you experience life. But our culture works so hard on us against that, that it even scares me to death to give. Because I wonder, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? The more I get, oh, I'm not going to have, oh, I'm not. But God says, I made it all, and if you'll trust me with it, then you'll find life. And you need to understand, this is worth This is worth mentioning with this. My motives speak as loud as my actions. My motives speak as loud as my action. And so digging deeper, we need to understand that this isn't some sort of formula or some sort of game to be played. We don't give to get something in return. Again, that's self-centered. We learn as a follower of Jesus Christ to find peace and joy in life that comes only by following the example of Jesus who had everything and yet gave it all away so that others could have life. That's how your life makes a difference. And so to sum it all up, there's really one phrase that can put all this together. My life as a follower of Jesus is determined by my love for others. And every time that we struggle of whether I should give something away, whether it's a kind word, whether it's space, whether it's a dollar, whether it's a skill, whether it's a talent, we're struggling with this idea, am I going to keep it for myself or am I going to love others by giving it away? And the more that we learn to give that away, it really puts us where we're not in control of it anymore, that God is. And when God's in control of it, then he can demonstrate to us the life that only he can give to us. Life after life means this. I find my life in Jesus. I confess him as Lord. I find forgiveness for my sin. And then he gives me the gift of life. Eternal life, yes. We know that as he promised, when this life is over, we will be with him in heaven for eternity. But he also gives us life abundant if we will trust him and follow him. It happens when we live as he lived. He simplified it for us in that great command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. and Love your neighbor as yourself. And how are we supposed to love? John says it. We love with action and with truth. We give freely of ourselves. Freely of our time. Freely of our money. Freely of our skill. Freely of our encouragement. We set the example for this world of what love really is. What did John say the world's response to that might be? They might hate us in return. He didn't say that we do that and everybody's going to come and hug you and put you up on a pedestal and say, what a great Christian you are. That's not what he said. He said your gift comes in the fact that Jesus Christ becomes enough for you and all these other things become less and less relevant in your life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a minute.